Just because the radio been slacking the podcast, pretty busy a uh, couple of weeks with the high school basketball championships. And last week on uh, the Jack Heath show, we did the uh, the twelve hour make uh, make twelve hours count to support veterans count. So uh, I haven't been slacking in real life. Uh, I've been slacking with this. So I don't just don't tell me about labor pains. Just show me the baby. I hear. I understand. I got it. We also got a dog. Getting a dog's important when you're an old man like me. I'll tell you why after you hear this. I've come to my senses that I've become senseless. So why is getting a dog important? It's, uh, well, when you have teenage children like I do, uh, you, listen, at, uh, on a fundamental level, you know your kids love you. And, you know, they do, once in a while, they'll revert to uh, liking their parents uh, on the exterior. My son more than my daughter. My daughter's still kind of a little kid at heart. But uh, you you need to come home to something that's happy to see you. So uh, <laughs> that's not always the case with your children. So getting it, uh, we uh, we lost our dog Jody. We didn't lose her. She died. I know. It's okay. Uh, back in May, and it took us this long because Jody was great, to get a new dog. And we got a new dog named uh, Cujo, as you've probably seen if you follow me on any social media. And uh, Cujo's this tiny little seven-pound thing that looks like a miniature Ewok, and it's great. He's he, he walk in the door, gives a little bark, does a little spin jump. And, uh, yeah, it's it's nice to come home and have something, even if it's a little rat dog that's an Ewok, be happy to see you, right? Right. All right, anyway, uh, poor segue, but I was happy to see Alex Lacasse, uh, who joins me for the uh, for the podcast this week? We got a whole lot of content coming, by the way, this week. Uh, the commissioner of the PBA tour is going to be on. Uh, that's right, we're going bowling. Also, Senator Maggie Hassan makes her uh, monthly check in, and uh, lots more coming up. So uh, you'll want to you'll want to uh, leave a rating and all that crap that uh, you do with podcasts. Uh, but Alex used to be an intern for me at uh, we used to be called Clear Channel. Then he, uh, he, he kind of went out on his own because you can't be an intern forever. doesn't pay anything. In fact, I don't even think we have interns anymore because there's, you know, it's weird. Hey, come work for me for no money. You get experience. Try paying your bills with experience. It's not easy. But uh, Alex has worked a bunch of places. What I talked to him mostly about was working on the Bernie Sanders campaign, which he did back in uh, 2015, 2016. So you get to hear him talk about that. And as you can hear, he's got some things to get off his chest. We also talk about the Celtics, which is not a happy topic, likely. But uh, here he is, Alex Cass. My guest this week, well, I, it's been like two weeks because uh, we had high school basketball championships, and then last week the radiothon, and I got no sleep, and then there was Blackout Friday on Friday, so I had some things to do there. Cluck, cluck, cluck. Slacking. Yeah, yes, exactly. So my guest this week is uh, Alex Lacasse, uh, right now of Seacoast Media Group, but uh, formerly of the Bernie Sanders campaign. And formerly, just a, when he was a wee boy, an intern at uh, iHeartMedia. And lo- look at you. They, you grows up and you grows up and you grows up. Look at you. Uh, you taught me everything I know. Uh, I'm yes. happy to be here, Justin. Thank you for having me. Boy, that's, see, that's a sad statement for you to make. You <laughs> <laughs> should aim higher. But uh, so we're here to talk. Uh, well, I'm going to make you talk about the Celtics in a little bit, too. I'm going to spring that on you. But uh, so you trying you- to trigger my rage? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially after this past weekend. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but you, we're here to talk about uh, the the Democratic field, I guess, and more more specifically, you worked on the Bernie Sanders campaign and for the uh, New Hampshire Democratic Party and for the uh, New Hampshire Democratic Party. Somewhat regretfully. <laughs> well, well, so why is that? Why regretfully? Let's just jump into it. Uh, well, um, I 
from the start, Bernie Sanders was my candidate. I, right. I, I didn't like how the Democratic field was essentially a layup line for the anointed <laughs> one, uh, one former Secretary uh, of State Hillary Clinton. Okay. Uh, you essentially going walking into it. Uh, essentially, you had four. Uh, you know the clown punching bag candidates, and uh, Bernie was cast as that originally. Sure, I, I, yeah. I was working for the Christian Science Monitor in 2015 as an intern, and it was my job to pitch a story every day based on what was so trending on social media. And Bernie announces his candidacy in I think April uh, 2015 from Burlington. Yep. And I say, who is this guy? You know, uh, independent senator from Vermont. And I had an editor at the Christian Science Monitor tell me. Nobody cares about a socialist Jew from Vermont. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and so that was that. That story got spiked. And I, I, I had seen Bernie in a number of documentaries, uh, uh, most notably uh, Bill Clinton's Secretary of Labor, his first one, uh, Robert Reich's uh, documentary, Inequality for All. Okay. And uh, I, I was pretty interested in him. I was like, you know, who is this guy? He, he's talking about the real macroeconomic issues that in whether that's income inequality, uh, the wage gap. You know, real issues that affect my wallet, my checking account, and sure. that I, I think the Democratic Party has more or less abandoned uh, in pursuit of. Which is which is weird because there's still a perception that, and and rightly so, I think that Republicans are the party of, hey, rich people, would you like to be richer? Okay, well, we can help you out with that. Hey, hey, poor people, would you like to be richer? Well, we're not going to help you do that, but we will make you afraid of minorities. How about that? How's that for a deal? So it's it's amazing to me that, the, and I think now it's finally happening since. 2016, but I'll let you expound upon that, that Democrats haven't been like, hey, uh, social inequality, let's go. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> Specifically and, economic social inequality. And I, I think this is why the electoral map has played out the way it has in the last 20 years, whether you look at the 2000 election, this 2016 election. You have this very red state, blue state dynamic um, where the Republicans, they're playing for the map. Yep. Winning that electoral map, you know, no Republican has won the White House without winning Ohio. So from there, now you have a Democratic Party where essentially they're trying to feed two masters. They have the, I guess I would say, socially conscious, ecologically conscious, high donor billionaire class, you know, your Mark Zuckerbergs, the tech billionaires of the world. Sure. Whoever, um, who... Without going on a whole other tangent, <laughs> I, I I think that, you know, they have a place in our society and they, I guess, on balance, do more good than bad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't like, even... like, like 51, 49? Yeah, something uh, <laughs> more or less. And so the Democratic Party, they need to cater to make sure these fundraising dollars uh, roll in. Nancy, why does Nancy Pelosi keep getting elected speaker? She raises money. She yeah. bags up that Silicon Valley money like you read about. Right. Um, so, but then also the core of the Democratic base has always been uh, the party of the working class. And so, you know, in the last 30 years, call it 30, 40 years, you have the... Democratic Party still at least giving lip service like they care about these voters, but also what do I need to do to keep sure the money's rolling in? And you saw this interesting dynamic in 2016 with the $27 average uh, individual contribution for Bernie Sanders and then Hillary Clinton relying on super PAC money. Right. 
It's yeah. It's to me. It seemed like uh, it, it's it's if you're it's like if you're in a long term relationship and you're you're trying to you know you're like well my wife's always gonna love me so I don't need to pay attention to that you know the, the, these voters are always gonna come along with us these disaffected uh, uh, you know white uh, you know air, air quotes here white working class voters they're always gonna vote for us because we're for them. Uh, so we don't need to really pay attention to them. We don't need to pay attention to uh, to black voters either because they're always with us. So we'll, let's let's cater to these, uh, the, like you said, the high donor, uh, the, the donor class, so to, so to speak. Yes. And so, you know, here we are. Uh, it's back, to, I guess, back to 2015. And here I am. Uh, I don't get offered uh, to stay on at Christian Science Mart. I would have liked to, but it, yeah. it worked out. So. Or it didn't work out. So I, I come back. I work part-time at the iHeart I Media branch in Portsmouth. And I, I started volunteering for Bernie because I said, look, you know, Hillary Clinton's a non-starter for me. The, the Iraq war vote alone. Sure. Uh, which, in my humble opinion, is the greatest modern geopolitical miscalculation in American history. Because it, it not only shattered the map of the Middle East, it uh, strengthened Iran by knocking out his... Biggest counterweight in the region, which was Saddam. Also inadvertently created ISIS. Yes. And, you know, we have Paul Bremer, the, yeah. uh, uh, I forget the, the specific, the CPA. Uh, yeah. I forget what the acronym was, stood for, but um, the occupation authority, the puppet government by the, or the American, you know, viceroy government. Yeah. Uh, splits up the Iraqi army, which was the largest employer in the country. And, and then so, didn't give him a job. Didn't give him a job. <laughs> <laughs> so is, that, I mean, is, that, is that a bad idea? Uh, I, I, I suppose so. I think that's uh, how uh, insurgencies get started hey, 101. Hey, highly trained military guys who have done this job your whole life, um, uh, you're fired and we, there's no backup plan. So <laughs> I'm sure you won't be angered, uh, angered and put that military training to use. No, not at all. <laughs> But yeah, so her vote on that uh, subject for you that was that would have been enough. Non-starter. Okay. And you know, yes, she's done great things in her career, uh, children's health insurance program. But what was that? That was the Democrats compromising with Republicans, or not going fully to bat for universal health care coverage in the '90s. Right. And it's funny because. Back in that time, uh, then First Lady Hillary Clinton was saying, universal health care coverage, it's an inevitability. We have to have this. We need to join the civ uh, rest of the industrial and civilized world and guarantee health care as a right to all citizens. Running as a candidate in 2016, or let's call this 2015, giving a speech to um, uh, a health insurance provider, we can't do universal health care coverage. Right. It's just an impossibility. Uh, it, it, with the state of, with how our uh, structure is set up, it's just it, it's just an impracticality and it can't work. Well, what changed between then and now? Sure. We're talking hundreds of million dollars in campaign contributions from uh, health insurance providers. So if that doesn't speak to a broken system, like, I, I don't know what does. Yeah. So, so you've volunteered for Bernie and then you ended up, Taking a like a job job because I remember you you were getting sent all over the country at one point. So how does how who approaches you for a job? Bernie Sanders doesn't come up and say, "Alex, you're doing great things. We want you to work for us." So how who approaches you? So it, it was interesting in New Hampshire. Uh, I, I I was a paid intern. Bernie I think was the only candidate um, who paid his interns, and so I, I was working forty hours a week for the campaign, and. So after the New Hampshire primary, we were told strictly that no interns would be moving along with the campaign. Only the, the you know the field organizers, which is the you know the grunt of the grunt in, in right. the campaign uh, 
world, and then there's you know, your regional directors, and then they report to the state field director, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, up the chain. So I, I just figured that my campaign days were done, and then I'm like, oh, crap, and I need to go find a real job. <laughs> and So I, I had gone uh, to Florida with my girlfriend at the time. Uh, just to after the campaign, just to clear my head and whatnot, I, I get a call from the state director. Said like, uh, we actually need people in Nevada. Uh, do you mind getting on a plane? And we're doing better than we thought. We need people to do things, right? right. And that was the thing about the Sanders campaign. There was really no plan after New Hampshire, and then he wins by twenty-two points in New Hampshire. Yeah, that campaign got scaled up and went national overnight. So, right. oh great, you were the New Hampshire operations director. You're now the national operations director. <laughs> <laughs> Good so, news. You have much more responsibility. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and so it was kind of just this uh, seat of your pants kind of deal. Uh, so I went out to Nevada, did the caucuses for a week. Um, caucuses are very strange. Uh, they, they broke ties, of course, since it's Nevada. They, uh, you would deal a deck five times. <laughs> And so I was responsible for five different precincts in this, like, one middle school. Okay. Who all went to this one middle school to uh, caucus. Um, I have, like, t- I have like three other caucus captains in different classrooms that are, like, watching things to make sure no funny business is happening. Um, and then, like, two of them go to ties. So they shuffle a deck seven times. They deal the caucus captain uh, for that precinct. Uh, each of the candidates, they deal them one card. Uh, high card. Uh, and then high card gets that to split that or gets that, that tie-breaking it. vote. That's how we pick presidents, huh? Uh, in Nevada, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's surprising, I guess. So when you say you 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 were like a caucus captain, what do you have to like rally? Because you have to rally people. Because a caucus is basically you get all the people that are voting for one candidate on like one side of the room, and you kind of give your pitch, and then yes. they they drift over to whoever they want to vote for. After yes, that. you were literally voting with your feet, and right. so uh, there had been some people working in Nevada ahead of time. How much they were working, debatable. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so essentially, we we were through our programs. We had a list to possible supporters yeah that we had to find out if they were caucusing where they knew if they knew their site if they were since if if depending on how gung-ho they were they'd be like all right hey would you want to be our captain for this area like we're going to give you a list of people you need to call make sure they're there um right. you're going to give a little stump speech on behalf of the good senator and uh, we'll see where we wash up right and so we kind of had to slap this together in a week um i i think the vote in nevada was uh, i don't know the numbers in front of me but it was definitely closer than the campaign expected, and then within, <laughs> I feel like everyone else on the campaign knew where they were going before I did, but then uh, for some reason, <laughs> I, I got left off the initial list, and then I had to stay in Vegas for another uh, 24 hours in a hotel in a, uh, in a hotel nowhere near the Strip that I would not <laughs> <laughs> not recommend. Not recommend. Uh, Arizona Charlie's. Uh, oh, wow. I feel, like, I feel like the smell of uh, stale cigarettes and rat piss. Do you like 50-cent blackjack? <laughs> Good news. Okay, so that was one of the many things you did for the Bernie campaign. How long How long were you with the Bernie campaign? Uh, so officially as a staff member from, let's call it, right after the New Hampshire primary to, uh, I believe it was the April 23rd state, so Connecticut, uh, a few other states. But it, there was that massive layoff, and I was in that wave. Oh, okay. Yeah, so when it, when, when, it, when it looked like, you know, when he was still in it, but it was kind of uh, the math wasn't going to add up for him as far as superdelegates and, uh, and, 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 and voters as well. So 
Uh, that's that's. I think that's around when that happened. Right. I think New York had happened. I think two weeks before Connecticut voted. Connecticut was the last state I was yeah. in, and uh, by the time by the time New York came in, that was that was it. So what what what, what would you classify this as a good experience, a bad experience, just an experience? Uh, the Sanders campaign, I, I believe, was a good experience. I mean, I, I met incredible people across the country, and, you know, I, I think America really needed Bernie Sanders' campaign uh, only, if nothing else, just to reinstill, you know, the shared collective purpose that we have in actually having a, a robust democracy just in the sense that I... I knew people that put in, especially the volunteers in, you know, a, a million different states, but I spent the most time in Connecticut uh, outside of New Hampshire, so I, uh, I'll use them, for instance, and they gave their blood, sweat, and tears, and yeah. there was about 10, 15 of them. If they weren't working or at their jobs, they were in that campaign office and right. making phone calls, doing whatever it took. And so for me, and I, I guess... What hurt me the most was it took that much effort, but we still came still up short. Came short yeah. And I mean, yes, the yes, the deck was stacked against Bernie Sanders, and yes, all those things are true. But at the same time, he I, I truly believe that he was not running for himself. It was that he wanted he almost was a sacrificial lamb in some sense to say, like, all right, I'm gonna put myself out there and go this far. And I'm going to show you, you know, just how nasty this gets and, you know. Right, and how important these issues that he, yeah, because since then, he's, he really, you know, he he kind of lost the battle, but I think won the war in a sense because oh, absolutely, yeah. he really pushed the, uh, you know, where the Democratic Party is uh, more towards his uh, side of the street. Mm-hmm. And, and now you see, you know, he did some NPR interview uh, a, few, a few weeks ago where, uh, people asked uh, the interviewer asked Bernie Sanders. He's like, "Well, you know, all, all the issues you talked about in 2016, you know, are being talked about by all these candidates. And why, why are you running this time?" He's like, "Well, why are they running? You know, these are my issues. You know, so he's it, it's really is uh, he's, he's made the conversation uh, a, a much different one than it was three, four years ago. Right, a- absolutely. And so, I mean, and, and, and I think it helps that the guy that ended up winning has gold toilets. You know what I mean? So yes. there's a little bit of a discrepancy <laughs> yeah. between. You know, uh, wh- wh- how Donald Trump lives and how most of the rest of the country lives. A- absolutely. And uh, so I guess the thing that broke my heart the most was just to see all these people that got, got so spurned. You're like, no, no, I'm done. Yeah. And never supporting Hillary. This isn't going to happen. And those that, pro- those people didn't show up. That was my next question. So there there are there was like a, more than I thought. There are people that uh, I guess, you, you you know, when you listen to 538, things like that, the, the Obama-Trump voters. But really, I think a lot of those people were Obama, then Bernie, then Trump voters. People that went from Bernie in the primary to Trump in the uh, in the general election, which just blows my mind. Uh, I don't I don't see how that's possible. Did you, did you encounter the you know the, the the type of person that would do that? And what what, what do you make of that? Oh, uh, all the time. Yeah. Uh, I'd speak with a million voters. I said like I, I I like Bernie because he. He's honest. He's had the same message his entire political career. He's not taking corporate money, so on and so forth. But if he doesn't win, I'm not voting for a lifetime politician, so I'm going to vote for Trump because he's different, <laughs> and he's going to come in there. He's going to shake it up, and, well, you know, that, that yeah. hasn't exactly borne out uh, <laughs> uh, the way that they anticipated. But, I mean, certainly uh, there were a lot of those people, and, and I think if you look at the map, um, all the Rust Belt counties, you know, in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin— 
that Hillary Clinton, these Obama voters that Hillary Clinton was banking on. Yeah. And, you know, she didn't campaign at all in Wisconsin, you know, right. the Ohio's of the world. Um, she just figured that these people would turn up for her, but when in reality, Bernie had won those those counties in the primary contest, right. and those counties went for Trump. It was Michigan well, that was the real the real shocker, right? That Bernie ended up winning by what was it twenty twenty five points in the in the primaries? Oh no, that was I I, I was in Michigan, and yeah, so Michi- yeah, um, and, and Hillary ended up losing Michigan, right? Uh, or, or, or am I mistaking that? Bernie won Michigan by I, I want to say it was less than a percent, but I so I, I was working. Oh, he was the- down twenty five in all the polling. That's what yes, it was. yes, yes. Okay. And so I, I was Minnesota had ended. On Super Tuesday, and then by that Thursday Thursday night, I was sent to Michigan, and I got into Michigan at 11 p.m. into Detroit, uh, and I'm like, what the hell can I do here? Because we're down 20-something points, and... Uh, <laughs> yeah, what are we doing here? And yeah. on Sunday, I logged on to 538, and it said, uh, Hillary Clinton has a 99% chance of winning the Michigan <laughs> primary. And I was like, okay, great. Like, Where's my check? Yep. All right. Uh, I'm here. And lo and behold, you know, he, he pulls that out. And so and I, I think that had a lot to do with, one, people were saying that he never made inroads with African-American voters. I think that didn't prove to be true in Michigan. I mean, yes, Wayne County went for Hillary Clinton, but was by as much as, in, which is, you know, Detroit proper, um, as you know. Um, that, you know, wasn't by the margin that she anticipated. And, you know, you know, case in point is Michigan. That's right. you know, for him to be able to pull it out. Right, and she lost Michigan uh, in the general election uh, by by a quarter of a point. So that's that, – you have to figure that that played a factor, that p- people voting for Bernie and then going, voting for Trump, at least in Michigan. Uh, or they just didn't show up at all. Or didn't show – yeah. Or, yeah, but that's, that's – that's, people say, oh, I don't vote. Well, that's that's voting for, you know – that that's voting in a sense. You're just voting for chaos. But so okay, so so going forward into 2020, you're working. Uh, you're working for uh, Seacoast Media Group now. Um, can you see yourself working for another campaign, or has the experience? You know, you said it was a good experience, but has it jaded you towards like doing something like that again? Kind of, you know, seeing how the the deck was stacked against a guy like Bernie Sanders and you know uh, Hillary, or, or do you think? Bernie Sanders and that kind of campaign changed things enough. You know, superdelegates don't matter as much this time around, et cetera, et cetera, so that the process is a little more fair. Would you consider working for a candidate again, I guess is my question. So uh, to answer your question directly, uh, I have no (laughs) plans at this time because uh, I am happily employed at at Seacoast Media Group, and I I invested a a significant sum of money to Northeastern University. (laughs) Uh, to pursue a journalism education. I wasn't asking you to give your two-week notice on the podcast. <laughs> no, all right, you know. um, uh, but I, I would say that as far as the campaign work, um, New Hampshire Democratic Party, I, for a lot of reasons, I, I that, that was an experience that I would not look to repeat. Um, Bernie, to his credit, he his presidential campaign will be the first campaign that is fully unionized. Um, yeah. Which is something else. So again, and here's an example of you know walking the walk um, with that man. So because uh, otherwise, campaign work is essentially seven days a week, minimum of twelve hours a day, right? Upwards of you know it becomes your life. Eighteen twenty, yes, it, it becomes all encompassing. Like you know, in the span of a, a year plus, I gained thirty pounds. Like it, it was not it, it was not a good way to live, right? Um, but. I mean, the the experience of working on Sanders' campaign was very rewarding, and could I see myself doing it again at some point? Maybe not 2020, <laughs> um, and I, I cannot 
I guess I couldn't speak further on a preferred candidate he given wa- my position. He wants more money is what he's saying. <laughs> I don't blame you. All right, so now let's see. We're looking at the field here in 2020, obviously Bernie's running. Yeah, I voted for Bernie in the primary. Uh, you know, I voted for Hillary in the general election because I didn't want what's happening to happen. Um, but, you know, I kind of held my nose and voted for Hillary. Same. Um, so, yeah, and, and I think most people uh, did that, although not enough uh, on the Democratic side. Um, are you a Bernie guy this time around? or are, are, are you, It's tough for me personally because I look at Bernie and I say, yeah, he, I, he, he be, I think he'd do a great job. I love his ideas. Um, his age concerns me. You know, and he does have a – he's very high energy for somebody in his mid-70s. Um, but, you know, it's – I, I, I almost look in the, at it as him being a victim of his own success now that there's so many people espousing the same ideas. I, and I, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, absolutely. So, you know, without voicing any support for any candidate, because I can't do that given the nature of my job. Obviously. Uh, right. Uh, but taking the, the kind of the big view of this, um, you know, uh, if we're going to if you're going to bring up the age question, then it's a legitimate question. But for the people talking about age you need we we can't have this conversation without talking about biden's age he's what 72 sure yeah. uh, we can't have this conversation without talking about trump's age who i think is also 72 yeah um so so that aside um I, I i'd say that i i still think that that bernie has a strong chance here only because these are his messages and you know understanding what it takes to build a an infrastructure to run a successful campaign operation state by state more than any other candidate bernie sanders has a loyal bastion of volunteers who will drop everything in every state in this country sure. and pick up his fight again <laughs> and, and i think there's something to be said for uh this is just my opinion people just like bernie like the you know even people that disagree with him i think you know that disagree with him 100 percent. just look at the way he speaks and the way that he's never kind of wavered on what he says and think, well, you know, I, I, I don't agree with any of this, but I know he's not full of shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. And it, it's been the same message his entire yeah. career. Um, income inequality, universal health care, and then uh, also the, the, the tuition-free college question. Sure. I don't know. Well, well, I guess we'll wait and see. I think, you know, that there's certain candidates that have that, certain ones that don't. Um, so we have a long way to go before the uh, New Hampshire primary, so we'll see how that shakes out. Uh, as if I didn't get your, your blood boiling enough earlier. All right, wh- what the hell is going on with the Boston Celtics, Alex and Cass? Uh, <laughs> is, it, is it just Kyrie? Because I, sometimes I feel like it is, and then sometimes I feel like that's not just it. But I, 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 what, are, what are we doing here? What happened? I mean, it... it <laughs> now this is what I'm getting <laughs> speechless here. Um, so I don't know what the right answer is. I, I'm sure Danny Ainge has his plan, and I'm maybe behind closed doors. He said he still says my best way to a championship is at 12:01 on July 1st. I am putting a five-year supermax contract in front of Kyrie Irving's face. Okay. And then I'm trading Jason Tatum and some other pieces for Anthony Davis. Right, and then you're going to the Pelicans, right. and if you're if you're all in with Kyrie, then I guess you're all in with Anthony Davis. Yeah. So essentially, yeah. essentially, that's anything off the roster. Not, I mean, they wouldn't take Kyrie Irving with that contract right. now, but you got to make a Godfather offer for Davis to the Pelicans. Yeah. And so, I mean, personally, uh, since you got to figure Tatum's gone, as good as gone in, in that scenario. I'd like them to see some iteration of a trade where they get to keep Jalen Brown. I don't know with the way he's playing right now. I don't know if that's possible. Um, but then there's also this other 
side of me that says, well, um, Kyrie's been a huge pain in the ass. Uh, no, nobody denies that he's a, a, you know he's an outstanding player. He's a talented as all hell. But man, do they look like they're having more fun when he's out? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? They just right. look like you know, it, it, you know Tatum plays better. I think uh, you know Brown plays a little better. Gordon Hayward he's been up and down. But I mean the man's leg was in forty five pieces. You know a year. You know uh, not that long ago. So I, I cut him a little bit of slack. Right, you got to hope for the Paul George rebound in year two. Exactly. Um, but they just look like. I'd almost like to see him say, "Okay, Kyrie, go to the Knicks, go off with Kevin Durant and whatever, and and, and kind of you know grow what we saw in the in the playoffs last year, where they were a game away from going to the finals without Kyrie." Right, and so I I think that it's more likely than not that he's going to the Knicks. He's as good as gone, and then so I guess it, it's just a little disappointing to be, "Oh, we were so close. We had a team goes the Eastern Conference Finals, we're bringing back two All Stars." And then now we're in the perfect position to play for Anthony Davis, trade for Anthony Davis, the best big man in the game. And then to go back to, well, now we're on the slow rebuild. <laughs> Let's hope Tatum and Brown become all stars. Right. It's just it's a little disheartening. And then I guess one more thing. So if you do go with that, um, the superstar build, and Kyrie does re up, and Kyrie is back. Do we think that my, do we think that Brad Stevens is going to be the coach to oh you know coach this team into a champion and I, the, the biggest comparison that I, I I think I've come up with is I think he's Mark Jackson when Mark Jackson coached the oh, Warriors. Oh, how dare you! How dare you! I think he's twice the ten times the coach Mark Jackson. Was. I mean, maybe X's and O's, yeah, probably, but. You know, we we saw Mark Jackson. He gets you know Clay Thompson and Steph Curry as you know rookies, young players, yeah. first, second year guys. Um, and he builds the program the right way. They go from a team that hadn't done anything except for that one year with Don Nelson and Baron Davis when they knocked off the Mavs. Uh, you know, since you know we're talking Chris Mullen, that was a fun team. Yeah, it was a fun team. Uh, then so he starts building that program. They get better and better every year, more competitive, night in, night out. I think they go to the playoffs. You know, I think they they lost in like the second round, maybe with Mark Jackson. I think that's yeah. where they topped out. Um, so you think they need somebody else to bring Tatum and Brown maybe to the next level? Maybe. I, I mean, if I, I think if you're coaching a team with Kyrie Irving and Anthony Davis next year, then yeah. yeah, I think you need that. You need that adult. You know, a former player, someone like that, a Steve Kerr ilk. Okay. Um, just who's been there and done that, and because I, I think I with Kyrie's latest comments after the the Kemba the game in uh charlotte when he says oh we, we should have trapped uh kemba walker yeah, like well, like everyone does also look at the highlights of Kyrie not you know giving kemba walker 15 feet of room to get his jump shot off so maybe, right. maybe play a little defense Kyrie, before you start smack talking to coach that's all i'm saying that's all i'm saying that's fair but i, th- I think it's a question that uh needs to uh be on the forefront of uh most celtics fans uh minds going forward all right well uh two things to keep an eye on this summer uh debates in uh, new hampshire for the democratic uh candidates and also what the hell happens with the celtics because i think they're i think they're one and done in the playoffs here coming up unfortunately i think, I think if we get the four seed, i think we can knock off india yeah, for the five seed, I think it's uh, we're toast. But uh, Alex Cass, where can people uh, find you and read your stuff and uh, and, and get more of you? Uh, you can always read us on Seacoast Online. Uh, I'm the Exeter area reporter, so you can uh, click on that Exeter newsletter tab. We publish every Friday, 
And uh, you can always, uh, the party never stops on Twitter, at <laughs> uh, nomad underscore reports. And uh, congratulations to your Exeter Bluehawks finally getting over the over the hump. Uh, state champions this year. Yes, uh, big win for Coach Holmes. That's right. All right, Alex, thanks for coming in. Appreciate it. Thank you very much, Justin. Anytime. All right. All right, there you have it, Alex LaCasse. He's a good dude. Follow him on uh, Twitter and all that and uh, read his stuff uh, through Seacoast Media Group, Fosters and uh, the Portrait Herald. Good kid. Uh, it's weird when you've known someone since they were 17 and now they're like a real adult. It's weird. It's just weird, man. All right, that'll do it for this week. Uh, later on the week, Senator Maggie Hassan, and then next week we'll talk to the commissioner of the Professional Bowlers Association. That's right. It's a big enough podcast to get a sports commissioner on. It's not Roger Goodell, but I would argue bowling's doing a better job marketing itself in the NFL. What do you think about that? Anyway, uh, leave a rating, subscribe, all that crap. Uh, yeah, we'll see you next time.